Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. How are you? Doing well. And this week we are joined by one of the co-hosts of Pit Lane Parlay, Matt Hickey. Hi, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate you guys. So, Matt, right off the bat, I think we're going to get into plenty of IndyCar stuff momentarily, but the hot topic that involves IndyCar of the recent, what, two or three weeks has been the Andretti to F1 rumors. You guys have been all over this story, first reporting it almost a month ago at this point. Where does that stand, and when could an announcement come? Yeah, so as far as what we know, um, you know, we got the notice about a month ago from our source about information that was going on within Andretti Autosport, and so we got the green light from the source to tweet out. And, you know, this whole time, you know, first couple days after there was a couple media outlets that denied it, Andretti Autosport came out and said, we'd love to be an F1, but we're focusing on our current teams, et cetera, so... There was a little bit of pushback right away, but our source was, you know, willing to die on the tail that it was going to happen, and it kind of slowly but surely gained traction. So as far as when it's going to happen, you know, it's, there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, a recent Racer article indicated that Michael Andretti apparently has the funding to take over the group that runs Sauber. So I would imagine, you know, something concrete hopefully is announced within four to six months, but it is going to be a slow-moving process, so... You know, hopefully, hopefully sooner rather than later. I know Andretti Autosport really teased us yesterday with an announcement, but it was really the Formula E. But um, it's it's really awesome. It's a really crazy story. It's uh, something that we were appreciative to kind of get the heads up on, and uh, that's uh, a credit to host Mike and some of the connections he's made within the paddock. Now, Matt, we should have seen this coming because several months ago there was an article out, and I think Adam Stern tweeted about it. The SPAC, which is essentially like a private version of an IPO and Andretti trying to go and have an IPO. And the latest update on that is that could come as soon as the next month or so, definitely before the end of the year. But that should have been something that we thought more of. And now here we are a few months later and they're this close to announcing an F1 deal good point because you know when you see that and you know i can't remember what their their i don't know what you call it their tag or whatever it was weird. yeah yeah wnnr yeah funny uh so that made me chuckle but you know you sit, take a step back now and you're thinking you know what on earth could he use 250 million dollars for you know obviously indycar doesn't cost anywhere near that uh, you know, given he's established in most major open wheel series and other series, you know, I don't think he needs $250 million to keep Formula E afloat for that operation or anything like that. So, yeah, you know, we should have seen it coming. And then as we talked about afterwards, you know, there's a couple of warning signs from the Formula One side, too, of, you know, Alpha being noncommittal to having Ferrari junior drivers in their program and Alpha not committing to Ferrari long-term for their engine supplier. And it's like, well, why would Alpha not do that since they're very closely tied with, you know, Fiat Chrysler and things like that. So there's a lot of warning signs now you look back on it. But, yeah, the the $250 million, you know, kind of raising of the money per se, uh, yeah, that was a huge red flag looking back on it now. Matt, when we talk F1, when we talk Andretti, it seems like Colton Herta is discussed as well. Uh, in terms of what you've heard and you know what is being rumored, 
if we see I think if is out of the question. I think when we see Colton Herta in Formula One, will it be as soon as 2022, or do you expect 2023? That's the that's the hot topic right now, and I'm trying to figure out what's going to happen with that because he does need more super license points to move up into Formula One, and that is going to have to come in the form of those free practice sessions. So we have been hearing tiny little bit of speculation that Colton Herta in IndyCar for 2022 is not exactly a lock. Uh, you know, he may do like the Indy 500 and a couple of big races, but, uh, you know, him being a full-time competitor is, isn't exactly a guarantee at this point. Now there's not necessarily cause for concern if you're an IndyCar fan. He may have to do several weekends at the Formula One track in an FP1 type setting. Uh, but, you know, then Andretti can always fall back on a guy like Kyle Kirkwood to fill the 26th seat if need be because Kirkwood currently doesn't have uh, a home, quote-unquote, even though he's very adamant that he's not worried about his plans. He's got something in place, can't talk about it quite yet. But, you know, Colton Herta is going to have to do some seat time in Formula 1 before he can jump up. So I don't think we'll see him racing until 2023, but I definitely wouldn't put it past him to be on the track next year in some sort of capacity in practice. So let me get this straight, Matt. You're saying that uh, that Colton Herta may not be full time in IndyCar or Formula One in 2022. Correct. And at this point, that is just you know kind of speculation and and based on what we've been hearing. Uh, you know, there's still so many moving parts of this whole situation. So don't you know take that to the to the stone and start carving that in or anything like that. But uh, it's, there's a lot of moving parts here. And unfortunately I think this super license system is making it quite difficult on the IndyCar guys who do want to try F1. And, you know, we saw guys like Fernando Alonso come out today and say that IndyCar needs to get more validation in that area of the super license system, because it doesn't seem like, uh, it, it's as easy as it should be for a guy to go from IndyCar to F1 if need be. I, I'm glad you brought up the super license thing. Herta, because of Indy Lights, when he finished second back in 2018, because the field was less than 10 cars, just having one other entry that season, he'd be set for F1 for next year, correct? Uh, as far as I know, I'm not super familiar with that, but if that's the case, then we can just like blame Trevor Carlin for all this. Right? <laughs> Don't we can't talk about Trevor Carlin yeah, in the negative yeah. here because we've oh, we've been blocked. He's 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 <laughs> not going to hear it anyway. But don't worry, I have some quality Carlin content later coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> well, with that, so you mentioned Kyle Kirkwood. He's a guy who. Andretti is trying to keep in the family, whether that means something with Formula E, whether he's just a test guy, whether it's a partial IndyCar schedule or a combination of several things. Does it look like the full-time opportunity for 2022 is there? I know they're working on it, and Kirkwood seems to have some positive quotes here and there recently, but is this something that could actually happen? At this point, I unless Herta is somehow out of that seat in the scenario that we discussed, I, I it's just hard to tell at this point. I mean, it's almost like Michael would have to add a, a whole additional entry just for Kirkwood. And, you know, we're not oblivious to the situation as to 
why Kirkwood wouldn't be the first driver bumped up. I mean, Devlin DeFrancesco is a, a talented driver and, and had a, a good road to Indy career, but, you know, he's got the huge family backing to boot and some really good sponsors behind him. So that's why he's the natural fit to take Hinch's seat, even though you're talking about Kyle Kirkwood, who is by all accounts the goat of the road to Indy program for in its entirety. And so there are realities to that situation. So if, if DeFrancesco is getting the nod over Kirkwood in that regard, it's hard to imagine Michael's just going to pony up for a, a fifth car for Kirkwood. So Kirkwood seems to think he's got, you know, his plans figured out and I believe him. I just, unless they loan him out to a coin, I really think he's probably going to be looking at a part-time schedule next year, unfortunately, which I think is, is a shame. And uh, we're, I mean, he's a young guy, and he's got plenty of years ahead of him. It's just kind of a shame that, you know, all of this momentum from the road to Indy needs to have to, you know, wait his turn, per se, which is it's unfortunate. Yeah, you mentioned the, the loan out and how, first of all, good soldier on the uh, Devlin DeFrancesco take there. I mean, this is clearly a guy who brings such a big check that he's not going to be turned down. But the, the, the loan part, whether Kirkwood could – pair up with the sports car team that he races in a vassar Solvin combination or someone else. It seemed like so many people are bidding just for that partnership of a seat that as of right now we expect to be back at coin, but could they go elsewhere next season? Well, so uh, not to burst anybody's bubble, but it, it's, it's sounding way based on what we're hearing that Ed Jones might be in contention for that Vassar Sullivan seat once again, which I don't know if you guys have feelings about Ed Jones. Uh, <laughs> we don't have a, the most uh, recent feelings for Red Jones are not positive. We'll say that. Yeah, uh, it was it was not a not a remarkable 2021 for Ed Jones. Unfortunately, uh, he did have some stuff that was way out of control. There was too, they they missed way too many practices from mechanical issues. So I'll, I'll give him the benefit of some of those. The others were just you know inept moments. So uh, yeah, I mean. Once we heard that to you, because we heard that Vassar Sullivan was trying to get Kirkwood and possibly a loan of some kind. Plus, we don't even know where Vassar Sullivan is going to be at this point, if they're still going to be with Coin. So, but, you know, we, we understand that Ed Jones does have money to bring to the table. So that obviously helps fortify his case, uh, regardless of what he did in, in 2021, because, you know, money, money talks. So uh, that throws a wrinkle into it where – Rick where racing goes throws a wrinkle into it where uh, the HMD global motorsport if they're coming up to IndyCar in an affiliation with David Malukas you know there's a lot of wrinkles here with silly season and we're talking Halloween what next weekend so we still got plenty of silly season to go probably through I'd say at least till early December so we got we've still got a lot of pieces to work out here and there's testing on Monday at Barbara which I don't know if we're going to talk about that eventually here Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. One other partnership, Don Cusick, Cusick Motorsports. He, he name drops Toyota in an article. <laughs> uh, he mentions how they tried to buy equipment from Carlin but decided not to. I mean, there's so much to unpack from that uh, Racer.com story. And I think the, the first takeaway, obviously the Toyota factor, that's the first time we've seen that presented as a quote. Townsend Bell had something on Twitter to say about it. No one's really denying anything here, and we've heard from one of our sources that Toyota is the, the name to keep an eye on, and no one's really uh, doing anything to make us think otherwise. 
Yeah, it's like, you know, because Motorsport had a, I think an article, or maybe, I can't remember if it was Motorsport, someone had an article with, like, official quotes from, like, Ford and Toyota and a couple other manufacturers that IndyCar would be considering. And Toyota was very clearly, like, not interested. But at the same token, like, you know, if, if someone finds out it is going to be Toyota and they ask him about it, what do you think Toyota is going to say? If, if Toyota is not ready to announce it, of course they're going to deny it. I mean, it's the same thing we encountered with the Andretti Alpha story. Like, Andretti came out within 12 hours and was saying, you know, hey, we're just focused on what we're doing now, which wasn't a no, but it also wasn't a yes. So the... it, it's all about kind of who you believe right now with Toyota because it was the, the uh, French motorsports analysts mm-hmm. found out at Laguna Seca and then snowballed from there and then Toyota kind of said no but now like you said Cusick comes out and says maybe so I mean Toyota would be an IndyCar would be fantastic but it's kind of about who you believe right now and I'm I'm tending to believe that uh, the Toyota would be a serious contender to come back for sure I, I'm not sure I buy their statement too much if I'm being honest I, I, I kind of believe what the scuttlebutt is around right now yeah, the classic non-denial denial, and I think that's kind of what we, we got right there. All right, the other takeaway from that article, Carlin. Now, we've heard rumors that Carlin could be out of IndyCar. In fact, there's a, a lengthy article on Racer talking about the challenges that they've had, and you know they're waiting on Max Chilton to kind of decide what he wants to do for next year, and they didn't have an answer as of that article's publishing do we see Carlin in IndyCar full-time in 2022? Yes. Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just don't know what's happening with Graham Chilton behind the scenes. You know, I, Gallagher up and left mid-season. We, uh, you know, we heard potential rumors that there was some strife over Chilton missing the Grand Prix back in May. Um uh, and then that's kind of suddenly when Gallagher disappeared. I, it's it's uh, a lot to unpack with that. So, and it's for as far as Max, you know, I actually am one of the guys who likes Max Children. I think he's a great guy. I think his results aren't entirely up to par. Now, you know, racing for one car team with Carlin, that's not the best on the grid. Doesn't help. Uh, when he has had some chances to to succeed, he hasn't necessarily taken those chances either. So it's hard to kind of gauge where he's at. I think the best thing for Max Chilton would be getting a teammate for sure, because then we could actually gauge where he's at. Um, you know, especially last year with uh, you know Connor running the ovals, getting pole at Iowa, and then you know doing fairly well at the ovals at Gateway too. But then Chilton, you know, laying an egg on every road course they go to. Well, it's like, is it the car? Is it driver so ultimately i think in order for that team to succeed they definitely need two cars i.e john cusick would be a great addition to that team if he could help bring funding for one car and the driver stephen wilson uh and then we can really kind of gauge where chilton's at if you know carlin gets a second car next year and he absolutely bombs then we can kind of say well like okay well maybe this isn't working out for max or if they get a second driver, Max is, you know, beating them every race. Like, okay, well, maybe it was the team this whole time. But ultimately, I think Trevor Carlin is a, a good, you know, owner. He's definitely got every other series he's ever entered figured out. I just think more time and effort needs to be devoted to the IndyCar team to make it work. And I think the optimistic side of me says it's going to happen next year for sure. 
the big thing in that in that Cusick article at Racer for me and reading between the lines because that's what we all do in the off season when we're desperate for anything is you know he it sounds like he approached Carlin uh, to try to buy those assets, which makes me think that how would he know they were even potentially for sale? So I worry that Carlin Racing has one foot out the door unless they have some financiers that step up pretty darn quick. And maybe uh, when you look at Don Cusick, maybe he's one of those. I agree with you, Matt. You know, Carlin has has been successful in every single discipline in, in they've ever done, particularly in Europe. But they just don't have the assets to do it uh, overseas here in the States. So hopefully something happens, but they just cannot continue to do what they're doing, Caleb. No. And, you know, we we saw them get off to that strong start, at least as far as being a two-car team. They went all in. Um, But what was interesting, I remember I ran into Rob Howden at Barber that first year, and Rob was saying, you know, these are – guys they've just moved up from lights i mean they've never experienced like live pit stops in a race and what they're putting together i mean they're making this work but they were definitely behind the eight ball from the get-go yeah i guess i should have asked uh, before i came on the podcast if i was allowed to have like a, a pro carlin opinion or <laughs> take, him to, to, take him to the woodshed with whatever i said because uh, yeah even like india lights they actually did pretty well too didn't they um you know won a championship with that jones good. One of the, yeah, that was, well, that was a throwback. Winning quotes. <laughs> yeah, hopefully this isn't listened in, uh, where is it, Uruguay? I hope this isn't uh, well-streamed in Uruguay. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to endlessly DM you guys. Um, I was actually, back in the day, you know, when races were on YouTube, I was watching that Lights finale at Laguna Seca on YouTube, and, like, the comment section, like, the live comment section just lit up when, uh, Jones passed Aralis with I think it was the final lap because they all just went nuts and oh man I forgot about that to be honest that was that was a controversial one for sure just a just a heartbreaking moment for a guy who'd worked so hard and that was his turned out to be his one shot it never really came together for uh, Santi after that unfortunately yeah and you know Hindsight's twenty twenty, but we could be talking about Santi taking out the uh, championship contender in the final race at Long Beach. So. <laughs> <laughs> things things can happen for a reason, I guess. I don't know. For sure. Well, let's get to testing. Uh, you referenced earlier a lot of guys at Barber. We were supposed to have Logan Sargent testing with Foyt. That is now no longer happening. Um, Marshall Pruitt says he believes that Sargent could be in line for a reserve driver role with an F1 team. However, Nico Hulkenberg set to test with Aaron McLaren SP, Ryan Hunter-Ray with Ed Carpenter Racing. Um, who else? Who else do we have, Justin? We have a few other drivers participating in that one. gamut of guys. I think yeah. we were most excited about uh, oh, Nico. Oh, Kirkwood, DeFrancesco. Yeah, we were excited about Hulkenberg and, and Logan Sargent, but you know, he just woke up and realized, Foyt? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and David Malukas as well. Uh, you know, Jack Hawksworth probably called him and was like, absolutely, under no circumstances, do you entertain anything from A.J. Foyt? It will kill your career. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, Laced, Munoz, Daly, <laughs> on and on. Uh, Logan Sargent's mailbox was full from former <laughs> Foyt drivers. Connor Daly, the only driver to technically get a full-time ride but really not because he's not done the full season with one team 
technically, yeah. I'm trying to remember the last. Who was the? I mean, it's kind of sad to say, but the, like the last driver to make it work in a Foyt seat might have been Takuma Sato. Yeah. And yeah. at the t- at the time, it was just like, oh well, he you know he's winning the odd race here and there, but I mean, is that really that impressive? And then I don't know what happened. Just Foyt has just gone down so much the last couple of years, and you know they tried with uh, bringing in Bourdais. That was a positive step, and uh, we don't really have to talk about the other entry on that team. But uh, Bourdais was obviously <laughs> a step in the right direction, and uh, sad to see him not be full time next year for sure. Well, I'm just eagerly anticipating the off-season stories about the changes at AJ Foyt Racing that are surely going to pay off because that's you know that right. that's the classic story we get every off-season, and it's just reached a point where you just kind of skim the article and roll your eyes and expect. Uh, you know, two more entries that aren't going to be much of a factor week in and week out. For sure. Sadly. It really is a shame. However, what's not a shame, Nico Hulkenberg testing an IndyCar. Now, we, we heard this rumored, I think, in previous off-seasons, and it, it didn't work out. I think there's a rumor he's going to test with Ed Carpenter at one point. But now this is actually happening. We know Aaron McLaren SB wants to run a third car. Do you think he's a legitimate candidate for that third car in 2022 for like a partial schedule and maybe move full time in 2023? It, I mean, as far as people that I would want to see in that car, he's right up there for sure. I think uh, I don't know what he feels about ovals. I don't know if I've seen an official quote from him. I do know that he is very old school with some of his thinking, though. You know, when the Halo got introduced to F1, he was very against it. Uh, You know, he obviously understands the safety side of it, but he just didn't like the look of it, didn't think it was very, you know, traditional to the, you know, conformative F1 standards, things like that. Uh, I don't know if his opinion changed. I mean, there was a lot of people that were against the Halo upon its introduction, and then you had several incidents that, made people very thankful for the halo so i think people kind of just got over it real quick i don't know if that's changed but that's that's kind of where i'm at with just you know maybe he would do an oval just because you know he does have that i'm gonna get in the car and i don't really care kind of attitude so that's that's what i know of him i could be wrong but that's kind of what i'm reading into it so yeah i think he'd be great at mclaren i think he'd be a, a tremendous asset to add to indycar for sure Matt, do you see any uh, scenario, you know, we, we've well, Logan Sargent backs out of the test, but that by no means, you know, is he off the, the table, so to speak, for 2022. Uh, do you expect Logan Sargent to be in this series sooner rather than later, or do you think maybe it could be a longer wait for him as he continues to pursue F1? I think, uh, I think unless he's got money, I don't, I mean, because he's currently F3, if I'm not right. Mistaken. Yeah. And if he has a budget to come do IndyCar, you'd think he would at least want to use some of that budget to try F2 first and at least give it a fair shake. Because uh, I think F2 season costs somewhere south of $2 million, like $1.8 maybe. Um, and and a, a decent IndyCar program is going to cost you $5 million. So if he's got the budget, I'd say at least try F2 and, and go for your dream of getting into Formula 1. Um, but, you know, that also is contingent on, you know, is there any F2 seats available for next year, which unfortunately I'm not an expert on. So I don't really know what the landscape's like over there. But he's not really a name I had on my radar, if I'm being completely honest. I mean, young American driver, very talented and succeeding over in Europe. Uh, so that draws a lot of interest from, you know, social media and whatnot. But 
never been a guy that I was, you know, expecting to see an IndyCar, let's say, within the next three years. Um, it really just depends on what happens in his career. So not a guy I kept my eye on, but I tell you what, now for sure will be now. And, and ever since this test uh, came out where his name was on the list, it's uh, definitely piqued a lot of interest in me. It's interesting that it went from – him being in Europe to, I think we heard some rumors that, you know, oh, well, if he continues to, to struggle to get funding and get a ride in Europe, F2, F3, he may go the Indy Lights route to suddenly reports of him going uh, with an IndyCar test. It's unfortunate that it's fallen through because I think uh, you, like us, are just kind of curious for an introduction to him and, you know, what is he like, not just as a race car driver, but a personality we're not familiar with him. You're not familiar with him. We don't really have a clue about him here in the States because he's racing in Europe. I just, I find that whole element fascinating that we're not going to get that opportunity. It's unfortunate. Uh, most definitely. Uh, but somebody else that, you know, we mentioned Kyle Kirkwood and I kind of want to run this by Matt because we were talking about this last week in terms of generational talents and the way that Kyle Kirkwood has dominated from F4 through the road to Indy and the amount of wins that he has compiled. And the fact that we're sitting here discussing Devlin Francesco landing a full time ride and talking about other road to Indy guys. And yet, you know, maybe there's a plan that we don't know yet for Kyle Kirkwood, but the fact that we're sitting here saying he does not yet have a full-time seat for 2022 is is mind-boggling to me considering this kid could be at least by pure talent and what he's shown the best you know you know for junior formula driver in the united states in 15 20 years um what do you make of that matt and and what do you see or what have you heard about cal kirkwood's future do we see him full-time in indycar or is he kind of bounced around within andretti's formulas I think Michael's not going to let him go, which, again, I think is a shame for us fans wanting to see Kirkwood out there. You know, talk about the, the great Indy Lights drivers, you know, all the way back to 1986, or just the great Road to Indy drivers, you know, last decade or decade. And so I think the, the guys that kind of float to the top are, you know, Greg Moore, Spencer Piggott, uh, Matthew Bradlam, who's never gotten a fair shake. Um, in IndyCar, uh, there's a couple other, you know, elite guys in there, you know, Dan Weldon, Townsend Bell, Paul Tracy, Tony Kanaan, Elio Castroneves. You can just kind of rattle off a bunch of names. But I think you've never really seen a guy other than maybe Spencer Piggott that's had prolonged success in the road to Indy as much as Kyle Kirkwood has. And you got guys like Joseph Newgarden who comes to Indy Lights and does great. Uh, but that was a guy who came from, you know, he went from Skip Barber to Europe and then two Indy Lights, so he kind of missed a couple of runs of the road to Indy, and it, it still worked out for him. It, there's there's not one set way to get to IndyCar, and, you know, obviously his trajectory took off exponentially. And so I think uh, with Kirkwood, I I, I don't want to really see him in Formula, Formula E. I think that would be kind of a shame. But some seat time is better than no seat time. Uh, you know, Rosenquist went from Formula E to IndyCar, so it's not unheard of. Um, it's just, as far as a, a black and white world, it's, it's not the, the path that some fans want to see him take, even though it's totally not of his choosing. He's kind of just at the mercy of Michael Andretti. I kind of wish a, a Penske or 
a Ganassi would, you know, make a play for him and try to buy him out of whatever contract they have with Andretti because Kirkwood and a Penske car would be downright dangerous for, for the rest of the field. We have some some breaking news here as we were as we record this, guys. Uh, you guys remember John Casey? Of course, he was the uh, Boston Grand Prix CFO, and uh, I know you were very close to him, Matt. Um, but uh, apparently, he's been he's uh, he's pleaded guilty to twenty three counts of wire fraud, aggravated identity theft, money laundering, etc., uh, etc. Et he spent COVID nineteen funds on a diamond ring and a Match dot com membership. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, users are still users, and it finally uh, caught up with John Casey. But um, you know, that's you know between the Boston Grand Prix and the uh, the Boston Consulting Group, I think IndyCar should just stay away from anything involving Boston, Massachusetts, at this point. Yeah, that's that's fair. I honestly had forgot about that. That was such a golden moment, the uh, Boston Consulting Group thing. I had totally <laughs> forgotten that until I I went back and looked at. Uh, a lot. I went through all of the old Miller mailbags and just like every other question he got one time was about this consulting group. And I'm just like, I can't remember what he's on about. So I quick did a Google search and I'm like, ah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that. I can't remember. I, it's been so long. I have to reread that again. But there, I, can, I remember they had a bunch of outlandish ideas, some that, you know, Randy Bernard took and some that he kind of brushed off. Um, Man, those were the days, though. We've come so far. I think you guys have talked about that, the the upward trajectory of IndyCar and how how good it's been. But those boss consultant days, that was the moment, man. Yeah, those were I, I wouldn't say the glory days, but surely you know it was, it was entertainment. It was depressing, but it was entertainment as well. So, yeah, we've come a long way for sure. Before we wrap up, you know, talking about momentum for IndyCar, we have this tv deal that is beyond what anyone could have imagined that the boston consulting group would have you know offered up but people still have problems with it yes um you mean i have to get peacock to watch (laughs) a race so we're very on board with streaming i would assume you are as well for indycar to kind of make this transition from traditional tv to streaming like what is the next thing that indycar should do you know, everyone says, well, they need a drive to survive type show. But is that really going to be the thing that will captivate and really get a new audience to latch on to IndyCar? I think two things they're doing are positive. I think you know, they are trying to find a drive to survive series of their own. They are coming out with that video game, uh, May of 2023, which I think is going to be huge for the younger audience. And, and, you know, there's countless numbers of people out there that have come to Formula One because of drive just five or because you know the formula one game was free on game pass and they downloaded it decided to play around with it and like oh that's actually pretty cool uh so i think those are two positive things i think one that would also really help and this might be i, I wouldn't say controversial but you know obviously there are some hurdles to to jump over before we get to this point but finding a way to broadcast the races without commercials especially if people are paying for a monthly fee to watch these races uh, i think that would be a good next step i actually don't even know if you know all the races are on peacock next year but does that include commercials in the middle of those races that's something that we have to find out because i know the practice sessions and i i don't know was any qualifying live on peacock i know a lot of them yes 
So when it's yeah, so when it's on Peacock Live, it's just like watching a practice session where they go to break, there's a bit of a gap, and then they come back, the music plays. During the break, they make say one or two things. They'll do a little like, "Hey, for those of you watching on Peacock, blah 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 blah." So I mean, that part's cool. But as far as watching the races, I believe there are commercials during the races on streamed on Peacock. Yeah, and that could I mean, in our uh, Formula One episode that comes out tomorrow, not to shamelessly plug, I do kind of go on a mini rant towards the end about the media, and obviously that includes us. But uh, in the media in, like, a traditional sense of the word in, like, the people that show up to the track or the people who – because the, the question was about something that Yuki Sonoda answered about if he's feeling pressure and, the, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like this dude's been asked this question, like, 40 times in the last three weeks. Like, <laughs> cut the guy a little bit. Like, he's already asked and answered. We don't need to keep asking this guy the same question every weekend. So I just went on this rant. But it's just like, you know – I think at a certain point in time, companies are going to need to realize there are better ways to reach their consumers other than just plopping a commercial in the middle of a, a, a race. Uh, and, you know, I think the greatest deal in the history of racing is how ESPN acquired the Formula One rights for virtually nothing and then got Mother's Polish to foot the bill or, you know, pay above that. So they're actually making money on the whole thing. But, you know, they show races without commercials. Sky shows races without commercials. So they're they're making it work over there. Obviously, it's Formula One, and I know they're much bigger than IndyCar at the moment. But I think finding a way to broadcast full races without a commercial and, and finding ways to do, like, the Liberty Mutual thing on the side or even, like, a pop-up window that happens in the middle of race, I think that would be, to me, be the next great step for IndyCar is finding a way to get commercials out of the races. You know, I'm so used to it, it sadly doesn't really bother me. I'll, I will admit that. <laughs> so you don't go on Twitter and, and rant about it? Or, you know, there's people that have, like, a stopwatch out. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, we, we rant about the broadcast. We don't care about the commercials. Hey, man, i, I got to be honest. There are some Formula One races where I wish there was commercials to break up the monotony sometimes. <laughs> well, yeah, that's – yeah. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> you get those every now and then, a, a little bit of monotony, but it's not uh, – not as prevalent as Formula One because yeah, I mean, if I think Monaco, if they just ran ten minutes of film for the race and the other <laughs> seventy minutes commercials, I think that'd be all right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Agreed on that <laughs> one. Pit stops. Yeah, just show pit stops, and if there's any incidents, pretty much all you need. Yeah, absolutely. All right, before we wrap up, Matt, uh, you teased your latest F1 episode. Uh, you guys also cover IndyCar and several other uh, motorsport entities. So, uh, what else do you guys have to offer for fans out there? So uh, Mike and our on-track uh, producer and uh, you know occasional guest Shannon, I think they're potentially going to Rolex 24. We usually have some sort of deal with uh, one of the teams where we do you know like live content with them at the track and we interview drivers, engineers, crew members, etc. Uh, in 2019, pre-COVID, we did Wayne Taylor Racing. 2020, we had something with uh, Meyer Shank, and I believe this year too. Or no, sorry, 2020, 2020 was supposed to be coined, but with COVID and us not being able to go to the track, that obviously impacted things. And then last year we had Meyer Shank, so got to do stuff with Jack Harvey and um, Shank and a bunch of other guys, and then also on their IMSA side. So uh, we do a little bit of IMSA where I'm not 
the world's biggest fan of Insta. It's mostly out of ignorance. I've just never had a chance to immerse myself into it, really. Uh, but yeah, really, it's it's kind of just Formula One, IndyCar, and the Road to Indy is, is our our main forte, and and we really have a lot of fun doing it. We just kind of started the podcast with three people four years ago, and uh, it's uh, grown more than we could have ever anticipated, and we're just having a lot of fun doing it. All right, well, that's Matt Hickey, one of the co-hosts of Pit Lane Parlay. Matt, thanks so much for coming on with us this week. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Really interesting stuff, especially with Herda possibly not racing anywhere next year. Is that is that what I heard correctly? Well, yeah, I think, you know, Matt talking that, you know, maybe he uses next year as that bridge year and gets some FP1s and, you know, attends races and for Formula One races and then maybe does some spot duties on in an IndyCar. I'd be surprised, quite frankly, if that happened. I feel like it's one or the other. But the fact that he's facing a deficit with super license points is maybe that's the best way for him to to not only get to Formula One as quick as possible, but also gain some much-needed experience as well. Yeah, and those, what, remaining, he's at 32, he needs 40. He's not going to get all the FP1s. They tried to get him an FP1, was the rumor, for Coda. Obviously did not work out as of the time of this recording. So, you know, yeah, I, I think it'd be tough if he's not in one or the other, but, I mean, they'll... They'll find a way to make something work for him, I would think, I would hope. And, and be very disappointing otherwise. Still remember that Colton Herta is 21 years old. He's older than the, you know, younger than the majority of the reserve drivers over in Formula One. Um, same with F2 drivers. I mean, he is exceptionally, exceptionally young. So he could take a year where he's just doing some IndyCar races and doing some FP1s and, may, you know, maybe appearing here or there and, and enjoying Formula One, taking it all in as a quote unquote reserve or test guy. And not really losing any part of his career, really, because he's so young. So, wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Um, I, I guess I, I guess I'd still be you kind know, of kind of surprised if he's not doing one or the other. But it shouldn't be shocking if he does, considering just how young he is. And you know, there is something to be said of taking a year and really. Uh, acclimatizing yourself to Formula One, not just in the seat, but outside the seat as well. And that could go a long way to eventually leading to more success in Formula One when he does indeed uh, command a full-time seat. The racing version of a gap year, you know that. Yes, extra year yeah, between absolutely. high school and, and college. You know, or he's going to tell. He's <laughs> going to tell. Uh, you know, Michael Andretti. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just not feeling it this year in IndyCar. I'm going to take a break. I'm yeah. going to travel the world. You know, yeah. go to some FP1s, participate, maybe <laughs> run a couple IndyCar races. Yeah, I'll run 500. the 500, and you know, <laughs> just stay busy. But you know, by and large, I just kind of want to uh, take things easy, right? Yeah, that's a possibility. I so, want to look inside myself. I want to find myself <laughs> in 2022. I mean, I feel like a lot of people are actually in that boat, you know, after what we've been through the last <laughs> 18, 19, 20 months, however long it's been Yeah, in these unprecedented times. We haven't, you know what I thought? We hadn't dropped that in quite some time. No. I feel like until we go anywhere and everywhere without being warned of social distancing or masks or whatever, it will still be unprecedented times. Yeah, I got to sadly bring it back, you know, just we're not fully clear. It's not going away. 
anytime no. soon. I mean, it's it's declining. It's getting better, but it's by no means gone. Some of the things we didn't get to with Matt that uh, were announced in the past week. First off, Christian Lungard announces the third or second, if you will, car for Ray Hall Letterman Landing and Racing, the 30 car. He will be full-time multi-year deal. IndyCar Deep Throat telling us that that is a two-year deal with an option for a third. So very long deal for him. For him. Uh, a lot of people saying, you know, some of the owners, a lot of, I think Lanigan uh, supposedly uh, really took a liking to Lingard. Obviously in his lone IndyCar start, qualified fast six at the IMS road course, finished 12th. Solid debut. Really hard to take anything away from that other than that. <laughs> we, yeah. we just we don't really know the guy, but it's uh he's a young talent. He's a guy who was working toward F one and now he's in IndyCar and he's gonna be in IndyCar hopefully for a couple of years. It shows just how much of an impact you can make with a single race. We didn't know who Christian Lungard was, most of us anyway, despite him being, you know, a race winner in F two. Uh he comes in and, you know, qualifies what, fourth? Yeah. Finishes 12th, you know, then it's it's discovered, you know, in this story uh, that, you know, he had food poisoning over that weekend, and now he's going to be a full-time driver. So really excited to have Lungard on, on the circuit. But I will say, if there was a single track in which Lungard had to make his first ever start in IndyCar, it really benefits doing the IMS road course. That is true because it's it the, really fits the profile yeah. of what he's doing in F two. We saw how much that, it helped know. Grosjean. Yeah, absolutely. So, if the first race was at say you know a physical track like a road course or like a barber, you know, um, you know, could would the you know results have been there? I don't know. Maybe they would have. But it definitely was right place, right time for Christian Lungard. And credit to him, he maximized that opportunity. Now he's in a full-time seat for 22. I guess now you get to expectations. He's obviously going to be a rookie, so I'm not going to put some outrageous expectation. He's going to go out there and win a race. I think he could definitely duplicate and make several fast sixes. I mean, if he did that in a Ray Hall car for a team that has struggled in qualifying for years, specifically Graham Ray Hall, you add Lungard, who clearly is very quick. Jack Harvey, who's had some great qualifying outings uh, with Meyer Shank in the past. We look at this team. You have Graham Rahal. You have Jack Harvey. You have Christian Lungard. Obviously, I think we both would expect Rahal to lead them in points. But what about race wins? I mean, does anyone win? One driver <laughs> in particular? Combination? I mean, uh, what's your expectation? I mean, your immediate answer is Ray Hall, right? But then you look, he hasn't won in four years. So maybe it's not Ray Hall, right? But we had this discussion, was it last week, where I feel like you're adding to the bottom of the team in terms of Lungard than adding to the top of the team. And so I'm still going to go Ray Hall, but I feel like, you know, it's kind of, by, it's de facto. It's kind of like, you know, by default going with Ray Hall. I feel like they're not adding drivers that are truly at least have proven that they can be consistent race winning contenders. And that's with Jack Harvey. And, you know, obviously Lungard has run one way, so it's kind of unfair to say that about him. But, you know, until he proves it, he he is not, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I guess to me, so I posted a poll on that. We'll get responses later on in the mailbag. But 
I my initial thinking was, well, none of them, because yeah. you take away from the veteran presence on the team and the guy who was the most recent race winner in Takuma Sato, and Graham Rahal, he's won several races in his career, but like you said, hasn't won in four going on five years into next season. Jack Harvey's come close a couple times. Lungard, obviously, we have such a small sample size, it's kind of irrelevant to bring to the table right. in the conversation, but... I mean, qualifying, I think they will improve. I really do. I think that's the biggest step. And I think the struggle for them as a team was qualifying for past couple of years. Now, in 2019, Sato, I think, won a couple of polls, or maybe between 2018 and 2019. I mean, he was at least quick enough, and even Ray Hall had some good qualifying outings, but it's been pretty dry the past season or two on the qualifying front. And I think the addition of these guys will help the team a lot. You qualify well, you're more likely to race well, you're more likely to be in contention for wins. I'm not convinced they're going to win races next year across the team, but I am convinced the qualifying will improve. I'm in a position right now looking at that team where 2021 I said Takuma Sato is a candidate to win the Indianapolis 500, and that's it. Now I'm looking at it similar to you and go, I'm not sure if any of these drivers can win a race and does that go back to quality of drivers or quality of team and at least in Graham Rahal's um you know experience when you look at it is you know is it him or is it the team I, I definitely feel like the team could be better around him but it, it's up to Rahal to be able to qualify better most definitely that's on him yeah and I think he will be pushed and I think he'll learn some things having new teammates that will help in that arena. I, I don't know how it's going to hurt, right? <laughs> right. Unless the and, setups are so wildly different. Yeah, but I'm taking a different approach. I'm not sure he gets pushed. I don't know if Christian Lungard and Jack Harvey are the two drivers that are going to be able to push Graham Ray Hall to be better, I feel. Like, even, it's it's just, and maybe I'll, be, I'll stand corrected and it wouldn't be the first time, definitely won't be the last time. I just feel like they're, they're building around a a smaller mountain instead of trying to build a bigger mountain or a bigger skyscraper like they're happy being at the 12th floor when the the epic teams are are at you know 20 25 floors they're going to go okay we're going to add you know a 9 9 floor building and a 6 floor building instead of trying to add that 20 floor building and it's a it's a horrible comparison but what I'm basically saying is I think they could have added somebody at the top instead of adding somebody underneath Graham Ray Hall. Is it odd to me that when Ryan Hunter Ray was let go from Andretti Autosport, there's not been much demand for services? I understand that he struggled last year, but he still was very competitive at the Indy 500. He was still competitive at some tracks. It was clear that the Andretti team, like th- those programs, were struggling. I don't think it was all on RHR. Is it odd to me that, I mean, he raced for Ray Hall back in the day, won a race for them. Right. I, I just, to me, I thought if they wanted to add a veteran guy who doesn't need to be a number one driver, he'd be a good fit there. I would definitely agree. But, um, you know, I, I think, you know, let's let's put our, our minds in, in Ray Hall, Letterman Landing and Racing. They're looking around the this the 
uh, you know, the paddock, right? We're seeing Alex Pillow emerge as that guy at Chip Ganassi, that next generation guy. You're looking at, um, you know, even like at Ed Carpenter looking at Renus VK and, you know, other teams around the paddock that are adding young stars and that, you know, not even mentioning Herda and Pato. And maybe Ray Hall Letterman Landingen is saying, hey, we need to find the next thing and. Christian Lungard to them is that thing. So in that respect, you know, good on them, maybe trying to uh, plan for the future because some of these teams that are, have already found their future, whereas Rahel Letterman-Lanigan surely hasn't. Well, and, you know, that's a valid point. Also, another thing that factors into it, I'm sure, Lungard and Harvey are a lot cheaper to sign than Ryan hunter Ray. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a big factor. Money always talks. I mean, like, I think uh, they probably cost at least fifty percent less than than what he would demand, if not more. Yeah. So that is one thing to keep in mind. However, they made it clear in the the press conference before announcing Lungard when they announced Harvey that oh no, we have full funding for this other car. We don't need a driver to bring a budget. Now, obviously, a budget is nice, and I'm sure Lungard is bringing some additional funding via Alpine. Right. But they didn't make it sound like it was a prerequisite for the seat. Yeah, definitely. Who knows? The other thing to get to on the driver front that we learned, Sebastian Bourdais has a full-time ride in IMSA with the uh, Chip Ganassi Racing IMSA program and Cadillac. This is not a surprise. I mean, he was full-time in IMSA as of a couple years ago. What? In 2020. And then ran a handful of races with Foyt to close the season, then got a full-time deal this year. And he, he tweeted out, for those wondering, the only thing that is for certain in my IndyCar future is that 2022 won't be full-time. AJ Foyt Racing is still working hard to continue the work we started at the end of last year. You know, the fact that uh, that it's also heavily discussed in this about sponsorship for that car makes me wonder if Rocket is no longer the were they one and done, basically. Mm-hmm. Because... Well- that was a big thing last year that AJ Foyt Racing was able to secure a full time primary sponsor for the 14 with Rocket. And now they're talking, you know, and maybe it's just, you know, team speak. Oh, you were trying to get the money around, but, you know, Rocket's still part of it. I don't know. But, you know, that would be a blow to F- AJ Foyt Racing if, you know, going into 2022. They don't have Rocket on board because I thought that was a we talked about it at the time. We felt like, man, that was the best news for A.J. Foyt Racing in quite some time, bringing on a new primary sponsor that was in for the entire season. And, you know, it would be detrimental to them if they lost that after just a single season. Yeah, real disappointing. We knew it was a one year deal at the time. So. Right, but they were energetic, too. I mean, yeah. it just seemed like, you know, the first maybe potential step in what could be a long-term relationship, you know? But you got to perform for these sponsors. That's the trouble. A.J. Foyt, the name, only gets you so far, especially this far removed from his driving career. And, you know, that's going to get you in the door, but results keep people around. And they can't get results, unfortunately. Yeah, and we expect Dalton Kellett to be in one of the seats because he brings a big check. And he at least had some promise in the second half of the season. I mean, he had a really good run at Gateway. Otherwise, yeah, there wasn't really a whole lot to (laughs) to hang your hat on there. We would expect some combination of, you know, do they sign someone for Roden Street and then have someone else do ovals? Could that be a possibility? I don't know. I. We know they'll 
have one car for sure. We expect two because they'll have the four and the 14. They are even entertaining the idea of a third car. Remember? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, just, just stick with two and figure that out first. Yeah. So Bourdais, again, still talking with Larry Foyt, according to MarshallProdivRacer.com. It will preclude some of the events for him. Uh, when you look at the schedule, so the conflicts are Sebring and Texas in March. Now, those are not the same day. So, I mean, that could potentially work, depending on how it's set up. Uh, Weather Tech Raceway, Laguna Seca and Barber. Mid-Ohio, the Indy Grand Prix in May. Canadian Tire Motorsports Park in Mid-Ohio on the IndyCar side in June. And then Road America, Nashville in August. So, I mean, it's not a full conflicted schedule. He can still run uh, 12 of 17 races if he's able to return to IndyCar according uh, IndyCar according to this. So there's an opportunity there. I I just I don't know. It, it's a shame that Bourdais truly never got a shot in IndyCar at a top team after returning from F1 because I feel like I mean that was it for his full-time IndyCar career this yeah. past season. And I'm seriously doubting whether he's going to race more than you know, say like the Indy 500 or, or something else next year. But even that, like, you know, is Bourdais hell-bent on racing the 500 again? I feel like, you know, he would be perfectly content not racing the Indianapolis 500 again, um, to me. I just feel I like... I think he, he'd rather race St. Pete. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it goes back to him not liking the ovals. I, look, I think he enjoys the Indianapolis 500, but I don't think it's a bucket list item for him saying, if I'm not full-time anymore, but man, I have to run the 500. I just, I don't feel like Bourdais is that type of driver, that type of guy. So, I mean, you know, he's not a young dude and, you know, could we have seen the last of him at least at Indianapolis? I think we'll see him here or there with some starts, maybe as many as 12 in 2022, but, you know, full-time though, it sounds like it's uh, it's it's over for Sebastian Bourdais. And one other note uh, before we move forward, Anderson Promotions announced that they have a deal with USAC to be the sanctioning body for uh, the three racing series that are owned and operated by the organization. So USF 2000, Any Pro 2000, and then the new USF Juniors presented by Cooper Tires. Interesting move here because mm-hmm. Indy Lights now sanctioned by IndyCar once again. I mean, it was always sanctioned by IndyCar, but now promoted by IndyCar with that move. And so we'll see how this plays out. I don't really know what this means. I don't know what it means. Maybe it means nothing. I'm not sure. Maybe it means something. Uh, maybe that's a question for uh, Rob Howden when we have him on next. Yeah, that that would be a great question. And we'll, we'll see, like you said, we'll see how this plays out. I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing. It's just something of note because it's a big change for that organization and We'll see how it plays moving forward, especially next season with that you know these series kind of separated. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, if you enjoy the interview with Matt or what we had to say, check us out at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, subscribe to our email list so you never miss an episode. You can interact with us on social media. Our Twitter handle is IndyCar Podcast. Like us on Facebook. Just search for New Track Record. You can email us, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. And follow us on your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you follow your podcasts for free. Okay, Justin, time for the mailbag this week. Yeah. And we have a a small but hearty list of questions. So we'll get back to what we had last week coming in. And there's 
Let's see here. So starting off from B Wilson underscore 27. I have two people at work that would have not been able to identify an F1 car in a police lineup two years ago. Now, due to Drive to Survive, they are suddenly very interested in F1. We must have something similar to this for IndyCar. Yeah, but I think it's, it's you know, we keep saying it's easier said than done. Like, you know, Drive to you can't just throw something out there and say, here, here's our version of Drive to Survive. There's something to be said about Drive to Survive as a... A, a series it's not just hey here's formula one watch it and people just started watching it it's the intrigue it's the drama it's the behind the scenes it's all that stuff it's truly what formula one is it's just it they magnified it in series form on netflix right and they were able to challenge all or ch- channel all that into a show that magnified those things to common folk that tuned in and watched and it, and so IndyCar needs to find that hook what's the hook for IndyCar for regular Joes and Janes and people that okay I know what IndyCar is but I don't really know a lot of it okay I'll watch this show on stream and I'm going to get into it what's the hook for IndyCar that's the key not having a show but what makes it worthy of watching to the masses like Drive to Survive is so um, it's a it's a tough tough thing, and I think maybe that's part of the reason why it's taken this long for us to see something from IndyCar. Because I don't think it's as easy as hey, send a video crew out to St. Pete and film a weekend, and let's put it up there as as you know episode one pilot episode. That's that's not going to fly. So they need to find some sort of format that's really going to entice a lot of people to tune in. And quite frankly, that's not easy, in my opinion. No. And, you know, speaking of stuff, I watched this the other week. Have you heard about the Netflix Bad Sports series? I have not. Okay, so there's a Bad Sports series. I think there are five or six episodes. The second episode in, and I've only watched this episode because of the, the driver and topic, but uh, Randy Lanier, you know, the pot <laughs> dealer who had an <laughs> IndyCar team, there's a whole, it's essentially a documentary where they interviewed him throughout and talked about his operation you know his driving career and doing any car any 500 very interesting documentary um you're kind of in a way rooting for him and until the very end until a certain question is asked and i'm not going to spoil that but um that's the kind of content i mean it's is a wild documentary it's interesting they get interviews with pretty much everyone involved, sans the Whittington brothers, which he was teammates with one of the Whittington brothers, go figure, mm. um, in sports car racing in, in Trans Am at, at one point, but or, or maybe IndyCar. It may have been both, but um, interesting documentary. Again, one of those things that IndyCar, I don't think they had any say in this, but, I mean, it features the Indy 500 in parts of it. Yeah. And him saying, you know, the Indy 500, that is the race. So these are the kind of things that can get people at least curious, you know, oh, yeah, I used to watch the Indy 500 or, oh, I've heard of the Indy 500. These are the little things that can grow and then maybe create new fans. Sure. I mean, it all it all helps, most definitely. So, um, but, you know, I just think that uh, that main 
topic, it, it needs to be spot on and, and blow people out of the water. So th- what you mentioned with the bad sports and then also like 30 for 30, like a lot of casual sports fans watch 30 for 30 because it is, you know, the, the topics, the majority of topics that they throw out there are fascinating, you know, and they go in depth. And, you know, that's what you're going to have to do with this thing. It, it can't just be, you know, what was it called? IndyCar what the heck was it? Indy- Rewind or 36? 30 car 36, you know, where it was just, okay, we're following a driver around for 36 hours. That's not going to cut it. You know, doing a, oh, let's, um, you know, let's let's do, you know, a weekend at uh, Barber, you know. And I really think, and it goes back to my original idea for this thing, is you build a series around the month of May. And... You know, maybe it premieres at the end of the season or something every year. But um, I feel like you have a six or seven, eight part series yearly following the drama in May, because that's the pinnacle of your sport is the month of May at Indianapolis. That's where great moments, horrible moments, uh, emotional moments, positive and negative things happen throughout that month. Um, I think that's where you promote your series is you know you're following these one-offs you're following these established teams and the drama that we have each and every may no matter what it is 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 amazing and i think that's how you that's how i would approach a series for indycar is is every may you're creating a yearly series out of what happens over those three weeks wasn't there a film crew following alonzo around in 2019 am i crazy um, I don't think you're crazy. Did we ever f- figure out what that was? I, or? I don't know. Is that on like Amazon or something? Uh, I, could I, be, I have I no idea. Know, or it could be. McLaren Someone please thing. tweet us or, or message yeah, us. I don't know. And, you know, people get excited about this uh, Elio Castro Neves thing. I mean, that's just one aspect of a show that Elio's on, right? I mean, it's not yeah, like an IndyCar it, well, centric type thing. The fact that it was just a press release, but we've heard nothing formally announced, yeah, is, just makes me of. think it's more in a production or pre-production phase. I mean, just that. just think about what a six or seven part series around each May at Indianapolis could be. I mean, the storylines and what you can follow and and all that. I mean, I think I think that's that's your best bet, in my opinion, to to try and capture. Uh, the audience that Drive to Survive is captured. All right, moving on in the tweets. This from Nick J. Fletcher. Finally, the announcement about the new cryptocurrency sponsor of the Formula E team. That's the news the motorsports world has been waiting for. Yes, I, that was if we, we, that's a tweet of the week, in my opinion, because that yes. made me chuckle. Yes, I thought that was funny. Uh, Hunter's Way 67 says, Nogart Lungard is talented. Just wish Askew had this ride. He deserves another full-time season. Um, I... I don't know. Like, I mean, I'd love to see him have another shot. I don't know. Unfortunately, yeah. the way that ended with McLaren, I just don't feel confident that yeah, he will get I another just, shot. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and unfortunately, this is the problem, too, when you have so many drivers now interested in your sport, is maybe some guys that got uh, more of an opportunity two, three, four years ago are not going to get as long of a look as they did before because – there's the next big thing coming, or man, there's a plenty of European drivers that want to come over. So the stable being full in terms of potential drivers is not a good thing when you are trying to prove yourself over a, a series of, of races or a series of opportunities. All right, moving on in the tweets. So I posted a poll, mentioned this earlier. 
who wins the race next year for Ray Hall. 36% said Graham Ray Hall. 23% said Lungard. 21% said Harvey. 20% said none. I went none. Did you vote in this one? Uh, I did. I said none. Yeah, so we, we agree. Uh, some of the responses, R. Cole said Harvey. And Daniel SEM 2004 said, I think Harvey has everything he needs now to get to win number one. His qualifying pace, along with Ray Hall's strategy calls, will put him out front. You know, that is an interesting point that Meyer Shank kind of threw the kitchen sink on some of the strategy stuff, and it, you know, didn't work out, and it went miserably like it did at Road America. Right. Um, but at least this one, this shift in teams on paper should give him more of a quality opportunity to, to kind of make it work out. However, you would think that Meyer Shank would have upgraded behind-the-scenes people, too, adding Elio and Simon Pagino. Yeah. Um, everybody seems to upgrade in the offseason with their Right? Uh, no one's, no one's downgrading. Nobody is like, you know, <laughs> man, we, we lost some guys, and we had to hire a bunch of bums, you know? So nobody ever says that. It's always, oh, you know, we, we upgraded our, our engineering or, you know, you know pit staff, you know, all that stuff. Everybody's upgrading. Nobody's downgrading. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for the coach or – owner or whatever in sports to be like yeah we had a really difficult off season yeah uh we have some players who gained 15 20 pounds they didn't <laughs> lose you know the the weight or they didn't drop to you know five percent body fat you know they actually increased to 20 percent you know i'm waiting for that yeah. or or you, you know, know in, in an owner cars, yeah it's any car it's like you know uh we, we were kind of wanting this guy and that guy and we kind of had to settle for the guys we got this year <laughs> it's unfortunate but you know we'll try to make the best of it like i would appreciate the honesty we had a big drop in sponsor money coming in from last year to this year, so we're just hopeful to make the grid. Yeah, quite frankly, we're just, yeah, we're, we're, we're good luck. We'll, we'll, we'll try to make some races. All right, uh, these next two from Nick J. Fletcher, the, th- these are all very funny. Um, this is on the Ray Hall driver lineup set for 2022 with the Christian Lungard announcement. He said, I guess it's safe to say that Renault is the third OEM now. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Why not? And then the BMW story that uh, Nathan Brown had, very interesting. They're building a BMW M Driving Experience Center inside of Oval Turn 3 with Race Day Hospitality on top, Performance Driving School on the main level, leased by BMW. Unclear if it's ready for next year's Indy 500, but Nick J. Fletcher tweeting us, I guess it's safe to say BMW is the third OEM. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you read that, too, and you're like, well, it it has to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. Probably not. Probably not. A couple other questions or, or comments. These also from Daniel SM 2004. Uh, the move to Ray Hall is definitely a step up for Jack. They have multiple 500 wins, multiple wins in most years. Jack's 47 races were all with a brand new team, so saying he might not be uh, a good talent is a very hot take. <laughs> I'm fine with it. I'm fine with hot takes. I mean, that team also won the Indianapolis 500. True. Just saying. True. I mean, they're capable of winning races because they won the race. Yeah, absolutely. Also, uh, sent the in, totally agree that Colton potentially going to F1 is a great thing for him and for IndyCar in the long run. The new regs and cost caps will help the mid-level teams compete in F1. It won't be like IndyCar, but the numbers will get better for competition. You're talking numbers getting better for... Oh, okay, for F1. So, yeah. yes, it, in theory, it'll be more competitive because it's a new car. I mean, <laughs> anytime you introduce a new car, some wild things happen. Yep, absolutely. We introduced a new car in F1 several years ago, and instead of Red Bull dominating, it became Mercedes dominating. Yeah, and really hasn't <laughs> changed. gone back. Yeah, No, not really a at all. A little bit closer this year, but yeah, overall, Merc dominance. 
All right. Thanks to everyone who sent tweets. As always, you can tweet us, email us, Facebook message, snail mail, carrier pigeon, if you can sure. get it to 2915 Maples Road in extinct? Fort Wayne, Indiana. You know, I think they might be. That's I a great they, question. I think they are. I, I think uh, they are as well. I don't know. So that wraps up our mailbag. Now some, some news from Racer. The mailbag. They're just calling it the mailbag. The mailbag. That is returning. So it's set to return in November. And I'll be honest, Justin, who is the uh, majority will be answered by Marshall Prude. Okay. I don't think that's really surprising. Yeah. So mailbag. We'll also have some special guests. Mailbag at racer.com is the email address. IndyCar, Formula One, IMSA, NASCAR, whatever. That's that's what they say. The first edition, Wednesday, November 3rd. The mailbag. The mailbag is coming back. Man, they have a backload of apron questions. <laughs> Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Fontana. questions. Cleveland. Where are all the ovals questions? I mean, man, I can't wait for those to return. <laughs> yes. Very, very much looking forward to it. All right. Uh, as we shift to news and notes and, and some of the things out there, this was a very interesting read. Nathan Brown of the Indianapolis Star the article, Insider, How and Why Michael Andretti is Building an Unmatched Racing Empire. Um, you need a subscription, but I beg you, go get a subscription. It is literally worth it just for this article. I think you can do the, like, six months for a dollar deal or whatever to start out. So, But this this note in the article, and this is the only thing I'm going to give away because I don't want to tease anything else, but before Michael Andretti's chase of Alfa Romeo and team ownership in Formula One, the five-time 500-winning team owner, I'd owning the racing capital of the world, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Wow. Yeah. But deep pockets, Mr. Penske beat him out to it, huh? Yeah. So he put forth an effort, and you can read the article and find out how far or not far this went, but, you know, they made the effort to do so. So I thought that was fascinating. A really great read from Nathan Brown. Another article, Max Verstappen loves watching IndyCar's drivers, teams, but will pass on racing its ovals. All right, next. No surprise there. Yeah. He also had some negative comments to say to Jenna Fryer, the AP, about Drive to Survive. Really? That's a good read. He's not participating in interviews for it next year because he just didn't like the way it was presented. He he said, you know, I'm from a small town. Like, I, <laughs> I'm i not into the drama. I'm very focused. <laughs> and he just kind of essentially said, yeah, this is all manufactured. He's which, not into the course, drama, but he likes it to cause drama. Well, he's a race car driver. Right. I mean, I'm not just saying, no, job. it's nothing bad. I'm just saying, <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. You can't have one thing and then say the other kind of thing. Also, this from Jenna Fryer, someone uh, asking where K-Mag goes. And and we know this, that he's signed with Peugeot for 2022 early this year. However, the second part that she tweeted out, I've heard he's looking for an IndyCar ride. Hmm. McLaren? I still feel we'll see we see him in some races next year. I would agree. I think he'll, you know, schedule dependent because it's just the WEC schedule, yeah, which they, is not they, like a huge. It's like six or seven races. Yeah, like, it's not a huge schedule. Yeah, for sure. So we can look for K Mag, probably to do something. Uh, speaking of races next year, the St. Pete race ticket renewals are now underway for that event. Elsewhere, we have uh, let's see. Oh, this from again. I'm going to butcher this this name. Jaren Dimendal. Uh-huh. It's mid-October, and according to my latest tally, you already have 13 Indy Light seats filled for 2022. Expect a lot of formal news flashes 
in the coming weeks, and there's more to come beyond that, so the future for lights is looking bright. So what you're saying is 25 cars next year. <laughs> uh, I would guess we could approach 20 or at least have the incentive. You know, we mentioned IndyCar Deep Throat the other week uh, telling us that there will be some sort of leader circle incentive for IndyCar teams that run in Indy Lights, which that's something we've advocated for for a while. Right. Yeah, and that's absolutely. kind of the only way to People make that truly happen. finally starting to listen to us. <laughs> I mean, they do listen to us. It's well, a yeah. Podcast. It's, you know, the, the movers and shakers <laughs> are finally starting to listen to us. Who knows? Maybe Trevor Carlin will want to come on the show next week. Yes. That, I'd, I'd honestly be thrilled. I would love it, most definitely. We shall see. Did you see this today, Justin? Yes. You did. You know what I'm talking no, about. No, I have you? no idea what oh, I'm talking okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby Rahal's 1986-8500 winning car. I saw that being pulled up at, at the museum. Yeah, the Budweiser March 86C Cosworth. Newest addition to the IMS Museum Winner's Collection. Very cool. He got to drive it up to the front of the museum. Uh, Nathan Brown mentioning that it's the first winning car since 99 uh, to be added to the museum collection. So... That is really, really cool. Beautiful race car. Absolutely. And and speaking of race cars in Indianapolis, the Indy Autonomous Challenge, powered by Cisco, that is taking place this Saturday, the 23rd, at IMS. Now, you cannot go and attend. However, there is a live stream if you go to IndyAutonomousChallenge.com. The live stream is at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. 21 universities, nine teams, nine countries. There's a $1 million grand prize. They're racing essentially Indy Lights chassis that are modified, you know, with cameras and sensors and all that. And a uh, really unique idea. Hopefully, though, it doesn't go so well that uh, this becomes Indy <laughs> 500 in like five years. It is kind of cool when you look at I'm, I'm really fascinated to see how this goes in the University of Hawaii, uh, Auburn. Um, let's see. Uh, a combination between Purdue University and the U.S. Military Academy at West Point and IUPUI have a car. Um, we have the University of Virginia. We have Euro Racing, so several universities out of Europe. Um, a university or a Korea Advanced Institute of Technology. Um, of course, uh, MIT is in it because why not? Um, I would make them the favorite. Yeah, right. I mean, that's the what the team Penske of this event. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So it is kind of cool, actually. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of uh, of uh, full. You know, when you look at the full team list, I mean, there's Michigan State, there's Kennesaw State, there's uh, Texas A and M. Clemson have a team? Uh, I don't know, but I want to see if they do. If they just come running out uh, onto the track, like. Dabo and company do, you know, <laughs> coming down the hill. Do but, they um, do they bring the rock with Yeah. Them? <laughs> but uh, you know, University of North Carolina Chapel Hills there. Um so I, I think it's pretty cool actually. Um I mean I'm kinda interested in seeing how that goes. I don't Not know for if the I'm future gonna... of auto racing, but yeah. I wouldn't mind tuning in for, you know, five or so so minutes and see how what's yeah, just going on. Checking it out and see what it looks like. Yeah. It, it's so weird. I mean, they, there won't be a driver in the car. Nope. <laughs> It'll look really weird. You look absolutely funky. All right. But, you know, there's no cockpit, really. Like, I'm looking at the cars, and mm-hmm. yeah, they're like lights cars, but there's no 
open seat. They've kind of like built over it probably with sensors and all that stuff. So, but uh, it's still pretty cool looking. For sure. All right. And Joseph Newgarden had some comments to motorsport.com a few days ago saying, I think we're starting to push over the edge of what some of the drivers can do physically. We need to be cognizant of that. It's something I've spoken to IndyCar about. Hey, hey. I don't know if you saw that, but I, that is interesting. You, there is only so much, you know, like the human body can handle, and we've seen it in IndyCar in the past. We we saw it at CART, Texas, 2001. Yeah, right? <laughs> yes. You know, they went beyond what was truly possible for them to do safely. Yep, there is a limit to what the human body can can handle, and you know we kind of you know over, gloss over the fact of okay, you you need to add the the aero screen, and now you're adding you know potentially larger engine or at least a bigger capacity engine, and you're you're adding weight, right? And um, you know you have to trim elsewhere to kind of even up that weight. All right, and with that, Justin, uh, anything that we missed? Um, just a, a quick thing on uh, Laguna Seca. Did you see these um, track improvements that are oh, coming yes. over the next couple of years? Uh, nothing crazy, but the um, the the bridge across the uh, start finish line. I guess it's uh, it's dry rotted and moldy. Apparently, they're getting that uh, replaced. The big one, though, for the racing itself, the uh, racing surface will be redone. Well, they got the bridge replacement approved from what I understood, but the racing surface seems like more of a question mark. Yes, they will, they've started that one, so they've gotten the uh, one approved. They need to get the other one. So um, I think it was like 750000 for one and then like $8.7 million for the other two. Yeah, so. the, the price difference was astounding. A little bit. So, But, uh, yeah, that uh, well-known... Um, uh, bridge there at the start finish line is uh, basically falling apart and you don't want that thing falling in the middle of a race or at any time but particularly no, in a race that would be very very bad yes but uh, yeah i just want to drop that in real quick all right and with that we're ready for your random split era driver of the week let's bring it our random split era driver of the week takes us back to the indy racing league and the 96 97 season and mr fermin velez who Fermin Velez raced for Team Scandia. In fact, he appeared in four races in the 96-97 season. Six overall for Team Scandia uh, in 96. And then, of course, the 96-97 season, he was in uh, four races. And finished in a 10th in the Indianapolis 500 (laughs) in 1997. Scandia, so in 96, right, they ran, was it six cars in the 500? Uh, it was uh, a Baker's seven, dozen. Seven cars? Seven, I think, is the record. Yeah, aren't it seven? Uh, looks like six. I'm not sure. I thought it was six or seven, though. I mean, there are, I mean, Racing Gardner, Lynn St. James, Joe Gosek, didn't, wasn't he a uh, splitter driver oh, yeah. of the week? I mean, I could just go Team Scandia drivers for the next two years. Michelle Alberetto, which I'm sure I butchered that one, also was a... Uh, I believe a random split air driver of the week. Alessandro Sampedri, has he been one yet? I mean, he uh, definitely no. should be one in the future. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Furman Valise. So. Furman Valise. So he's one of the, count them, 12 drivers that appeared for Team Scandia in the 96 97 season. <laughs> 12 drivers. There are only 10 races. And there were 12 drivers So uh, for that team. Team Scandia, Fairman Veliz, 
uh, or Velez, I think it is. Um, he was a Spanish sports car driver, two-time winner of the 12 Hours of Sebring, and two-time world sports car champion, Group C2 champion. Uh, had six career starts um, in the IRL, including two at the Indianapolis 500, finished 21st and 10th in the 1997 Indianapolis 500. And here's a quick sidebar on the 97 500 because that was the oft delayed Indianapolis 500. Yeah. Yeah. Um, finished on a Tuesday. It finished on a Tuesday. And here's the story uh, for me. And I remember this because I was in, what was I in? Sixth, seventh grade, I think, maybe, maybe even eighth grade. And almost every teacher in the school had their TV, you know, that came in on the cart and it was hooked up. They had the race on. And I remember being in a class and they would, our teacher would not put the race on. And um, me and a couple of buddies were just asked, like, come on, please put it. And she's like, oh, you're here to learn, blah, blah, blah. And we were so mad (laughs) because our friends and other people were able to watch the race during class on a Tuesday and we were not. So... Uh, that's why I remember the 97 race so much, which Ari Leyendijk won. But that was the race that uh, our friend Fermin Velez finished 10th in. And that was his third of four starts in that season. Also started at Walt Disney World, Phoenix, and Texas. Uh, so overall, uh, six starts. He he raced the Lola chassis in 96 uh, at Indy and was in the Delara Oldsmobile in 97 for Team Scandia. So... Um, unfortunately, Fermin Velez, not no longer with us, died in Barcelona, Spain of cancer uh, in 2003. Uh, so he is honored by the 24-hour series sports car race uh, at the Circuit de Barcelona in Montmelo, uh, where the race is called the Fermin Velez Trophy. Oh, that, that's unique. Yeah, so that's, that's a touring championship. Um in uh, in Europe somewhere. I mean, I think it goes around Europe, but that's the 24H uh, series, a bunch of 24-hour uh, and 12 races. But uh, they honor Mr. Velez with the Fermin Velez Trophy. Um, and that's, that's, that's Mr. Velez. Um, again, I, I, I would never would have guessed this guy finished in the top 10 in Indianapolis, but he did. I'd and never heard of Walt him. Disney World. Yeah. Multiple top 10 finishes. Yeah. I remember that uh, 97, 8500 because my dad and my oldest brother were set to go to the race and they showed up Sunday and it rained. They showed up Monday and it rained. I don't believe they went on Tuesday. Yeah. Well, I didn't get to see any of the 20 of the race on Tuesday because my teacher wouldn't put it on TV. Yeah. Well, still better. That, that was the race with the USAC miscommunication that cost Goodyear another possible Indy 500 yeah. win. <laughs> yeah. One, you know, really, he had three Treadway racing. That was the winning team. Right? Yes, yeah, Treadway, one of your favorite uh, name drops. Yes, IRL race teams. But yeah, I mean, that was the third instance where, whether it was officiating or just bad luck, he had an opportunity to win and it did not work out in his favor. Unfortunately, but you know, it was all about Fermin Velez that year finishing in the top ten. That's right. All right, that is our random split air driver of the week. And to get to our tweets of the week, first one from The Roth saying, this guy, question mark, on the 
uh, Christian Lungard announcement, and it is the boss from Office Space. <laughs> that is funny and should hopefully be a recurring joke with Christian Lungard <laughs> slash Christian Lundberg. You, you see the picture of him with the glasses and his eyes closed? Like in that, <laughs> I was like, wow, this is uncanny. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That needs to be a thing. And then this from Nikki Yeoman of IndyCar Radio. RIP to the left front of my car. Absolutely smoked a deer this morning on the way to the day job. We're going to try and fix as much as we can on pit lane to try and salvage some points. Going to have to win at Martinsville. The deer has been credited with a DNF 40th place finish. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. And that is uh, Tweets of the Week. And with that, again, thanks to Matt Hickey again for joining us from Pit Lane Parlay. And that wraps up this week's edition of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.